Welcome back to Hell on Heels Podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And welcome. Uh, hi. How it's been a minute since we've recorded. Oh, guess what? I have internet again. You have internet again? What? Yes. Yeah, the whole time, uh, the it was unplugged outside. No, you're supposed to unplug it and plug it back in as part of troubleshooting. Uh, well, not us, because we didn't go outside. Well, that's part of your problem. Yeah, that's what James said. Because James literally troubleshoots all night at work. He's a mechanic. And he was like, I did not even think of that. He's like, I don't I don't think of doing this stuff at home. And even the, the tech that came out, he went outside. He came back in like a minute later and was like, yeah, it was unplugged. It was just hanging. And we we're like, we haven't had internet for two weeks. Are you kidding and then I have Cody over here go, they should have asked me. And I'm like, they did. Yeah, to be fair, we did, sir. <laughs> I had to call him out on that. He's like, well, not about the troubleshooting. I was like, they did. You knew they didn't have internet. That was the whole point of the conversation. Hell, my husband, bless his little heart. But point being is that Cody just said, next time call him. And I was like, they fudging did. <laughs> Main point being, it was not our modem. So take that. <laughs> To literally everybody we talked to that told us that. That was the first thing. I'll tell Cody. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I think really like our last recording, we did it. But we did it so that it was like pretty quick. We didn't really talk or catch up because you were using your hotspot. So what else? Um, Well, uh, we had Jack this weekend. I sent him home with some plants. We started some little mason jar herb gardens and they took oh. off so i we went and got him his own little pot and i sent them home in a diaper box <laughs> so i mean it works i'm sorry to um his other parents i sent him home with a bunch of dirt and plants <laughs> <laughs> it have been worse you could have sent him home with a puppy or something oh god yeah no send him home with buck <laughs> yeah i just sent you home with some basil and cilantro and stuff but he was super excited, so that was fun. Fun. Um, I don't know if you want to announce that you're you're starting a new job. Oh my god, I'm so ready. <laughs> Not so to take your center, it just wasn't going that direction. So yeah. I'm just throwing it out. No, uh thank God. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work at a bank. We're gonna see how that goes. Never done that before. Are you just like a, a teller or are you doing mm-hmm. anything? Okay. Yeah, a teller. Which I mean, it's a pretty great schedule. The hours align with her daycare. I get weekends off. You get bank holidays off? Which is a lot. Which is all of them. Yeah, there's like they close for no reason, it feels like. Not that I'm complaining. I'm bragging. Right, 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 right. So that's pretty fun. Uh, I, I will have to work an occasional Saturday, but they're going to like work it out so James will be home. So it all works. I'm really just ready to get out of the house. Oh, I'm excited for you. Thank you. I'm so freaking excited. I might have already picked out my outfit. Have a plan for your hair. All that. Yeah, I did that today because a lot It's basically going to be either down or side sweat. Period. The end. Because I have to hide tattoos. Which is okay. 2023. It's not. It's almost 2023. It is. 2022. Yeah, I just skipped way the heck ahead. Uh, Yes, 2022. We're still hiding tattoos. Okay, but. Whatever. I could have one on my face. I was about to say you could have a face tat. 
No, luckily just the the neck and the forearm here, which I tried to cover up with makeup. No, you need special makeup. I tried to just pile it on there and I'm like, yeah, long sleeves for a while. Okay. It's winter. Cardigans and long sleeves for a minute. Mm -hmm. You have all winter to figure it out. Exactly. Any other updates? I think that's it. Okay. I don't really think of anything. I don't have a lot of updates. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of here. Um let me think. What what have we done in the past two weeks that's been... Oh, I went bowling with some co-workers. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> uh, one of the girls, it was actually for her birthday, so we we took her out, and she oh, she's like, okay, we, we have to get booze, and so we smuggled booze into the bowling alley, you know. Oh, they sound like good people. Yeah, they, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, What else did we do? Nothing, really, I guess. <laughs> Look, we have enjoyed our unplanned vacation, thanks yeah. to my internet. Yep. I mean, we might be a little behind on where we want it to be, but Amanda has a job now, so she can't go out of town for two weeks at a time anymore. Yeah. Um, one thing I did do, I know I sent you Snapchats. <laughs> Cody and I have made two Barnes & Noble trips this month. Oh, is there, are there any books left? I haven't. I, yeah, there's plenty of books left. Okay. I have a budget. I can. Cody. So this is how this works. The second trip, Cody said, you can buy one book. And I said, okay, I'll buy one book and four novels. Watch me. Uh, he should have seen that coming. That's his fault. He should have seen it. Y'all been married for years. I know, but he, he just wouldn't accept it. So I literally, he went to his section to go browse. I went to my section. I grabbed the books that I wanted. And then I went and checked out without him. And I called him as I was walking out to the car, like, okay, I'm like, I've got, I've got the book. And he's like, okay. So he comes running out to catch up to me. And I don't have a bag. I'm just carrying the books at this point. <laughs> like, I just told them I don't need a bag. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I told you one book. I said, there is one book. There's just four novels with it. Gotta be more specific. So, and then I have a couple friends I sent that same Snapchat to, and they, uh, <laughs> they gave me different terminology for the next. I love that. Yep. Yep. So, I'm so happy to hear that you're surrounded by positive influences in your life. I am. I really am. It's great. You're thriving. But also after that, I organized my bookcase a little bit. Not like perfect. It's just, I don't organize fancy. I organize by happiness. I like that. So the books that don't make me super happy are kind of in the back and then the books that make me really really happy have their own shelf my fancy books also have their own shelf yeah that's that's what I've done yeah my bookshelf is a mess because basically it's like it's like a shrine to my mother but not in a creepy way at the top (laughs) at the top shelf and then at the very bottom is all the heavy books and then it's Annie's books and then it's all the other books that I have had to put out of her reach was just things out of her reach are slowly becoming in her reach and it's, it's uh I've pulled out some hair over it yeah I've seen some of those books that she's got her hands on yeah <sighs> yeah she really has a taste for the classics literally she um she ate my books yeah yeah it's fine <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, I think that's all I have uh, well, I'm ready if you're ready. Well, are, are we gonna, you do this every time and you like to skip over 
You're supposed to set me up because I have a tendency to forget about these I, things. I don't know how else to set you up other than having to cut you off and say, all right, well, let's go ahead and talk about Discord. You want to talk about Discord this time? It's your turn. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for the, the little intro there. My own little intro. Um, our Discord is up and running. If y'all want to talk to us, uh, reach out to us, give us suggestions for cases, you can do all that on the Discord. You can find that on, um, I think, pretty much all of our socials. You can find it on there. And come chat. So our socials, so twi- uh, Twitter is at Hell on Hills Pod. Facebook, Hell on Hills Podcast. Instagram, Hell on Hills Podcast. YouTube, Hell on Hills Pod. So you can uh, reach out through those or the link is posted on the, those. It's on our link tree as well. Um, or you can email us, hellonhillspodcast at gmail.com get details or an invite or whatever you call it on discord the other thing we want to talk about is our patreon which is also up and going we're working on specials there uh we've got a couple game nights those also include um some more recent ones which we need to record another one Um, okay i'm down we need to do the goose game oh my god that looks so fun and i have internet now so yeah you have internet now so that's what matters So we've got a lot of things there that we're getting ready to uh, either record or release. So those will be up soon. And then we also just wanted to shout out. Do you want to say who it is? Because you were real excited. Yes, because I'm lame. I wanted to thank Georgia for your peaches and your listeners. Yes. Thank you, Georgia and all you Georgia peaches. Yes. Thank you so much. Y'all have been around for a while. Yeah, you guys, I think we've shouted you guys out before, but it was before I was keeping a list. And so mm-hmm. now I'm keeping a list so you get it again. We're super excited that you guys listen to us and you, your ear holes, enjoy what you hear. Yeah, exactly what she said, like verbatim. Um, I might be drinking a margarita, so it might get a little fun. <laughs> Wonderful. All we aim, all we aim for is to pleasure your ear holes. <laughs> okay, let's not. <laughs> That one came out a little weird, but I'll let it slide this time. Thank you. You're welcome. That's what she said. Okay. (laughs) We also have exciting news. Really exciting news. You guys might see this when you hear it um, because it should be updated. Um, we, We decided to become somewhat more official than what we were. A little, yeah. Just a little bit. And we... We got professionally done a, a new cover art for the podcast. So you might see those changes. Amanda and I love it. Oh my God. We got our donkey on roller We got our donkey on roller skates. Yeah. If you guys don't understand that, you're going to have to go back. Actually, you're going to have to go to Patreon because it is explained on Patreon. So it's an inside joke is what we're saying. <laughs> um, but we got, we've got Flargnarg and his buddy kidnapping whatever they're kidnapping we've got a murderer hanging out with flargnarg we have the hell on hills (laughs) yes if you don't remember flargnarg go back to i don't know what episode it's an episode we talked about travis walton episode yeah Um, go back to that one i don't know which one it was Um, was that the pascagoula one no oh okay never mind travis walton was his own but that's where flargnarg comes from yeah um regardless it doesn't matter we're super excited and so um, if we had had this before episode 54, we would have released it on episode 52. 
Um, I think we actually had it and we just kept forgetting. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like how we forgot today. So it's fine. We're you don't know that because we edit these to make yep. ourselves sound smarter than we actually are. I'm not going to edit that much. We're still just fine. <laughs> Anyways, point being is that when you see that, oh gosh, tell us how much you love it. Because we love it. Literal love. Like we, we went over it like six times and we're like, do we love it? Every time it was, yeah, yeah we love it even more than the first time. So. I tried to nitpick and I couldn't. This guy, this guy just did so, so well. And the fact that he just ran off of the most random ideas that we gave him. Literal, just like <laughs> worst ideas we could ever. We're like, we don't know. We're not creative. So here's some bullshit we've said before. And yep. he just ran with it. So he like, was phenomenal. Like, if we ever decide to become professional, we'll probably ask him. Yeah. For pointers. Yeah. Because he and made he- our Hell on Hills Michelangelo. Yes. Like this, uh, we're we're done. Like there's no getting better. Like we love it so much. Yes. And so. 100%. <laughs> so when you see that change, when you see it, it was intentional because we love it so much. Oh, we're just so excited. And I can't wait to get it posted. It would be like perfect though, because now that I'm thinking about it, this episode releases on the 30th of October which is almost a year to the date when we released our first one. Okay. So we are a little off, like, week-wise. Wait, wait, wait. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. This one releases on November 6th. That's fine. We'll cut that. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Point being is that we're just really, really excited. So we hope you love it. My dad approved of it because he got special. Well, he was cooking at the time. So he's like, yeah, it looks great. (laughs) don't know his true feelings but we love it um i think it looks really good we're really excited so i am i'm excited for y'all to see it oh we're so excited anyways so that was that's the final update now we can go on to stories oh okay i'm ready okay (laughs) all right well i've got a story for you um it's actually really short for for me it's really short at least Oh, okay. Uh, especially for a true crime story, but it was very like cut and dry type thing. But, but I'm real excited. So, are you excited? Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready because I'm looking at these pictures and I'm very. Also, if you guys want to see pictures, which I don't think we shout this out anymore, we do post these pictures on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. Yeah. Um, so, just go there to view the pictures. They're very intriguing this go around. To me. I haven't seen your pictures yet. So are you just referring to mine? No. Right oh. now I am, but I think mine are intriguing. I really enjoyed what I did. So Okay. All right. Well, you ready? Are you yeah. buckled in it? Okay. So I decided to do the diary killer Alyssa Bustamante. I'm gonna go with you know this case. A little. Okay. That's fine. So Alyssa Alyssa Bustamante, she was born on January twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four. In Cole, Missouri. Um, she's like the same age as me. I was born in 94 as well. So I was a little upset about that. But it's Is fine. that awkward when you're researching something like that? A little bit. Because I'm like, oh. oh. Yeah. Like, I, I just. I imagine like if I were to do something like that, I would be like, oh, at that age, I was like. 
climbing trees and playing with hooping sticks. I definitely was not thinking about the things that she was thinking about. But I also, on the flip side of that, I haven't had the same struggles that she had. Fair point. So, different lives. Um, Alyssa Bustamante and her three young, younger siblings. Um, wow, I already skipped a bullet and I'm only one bullet in. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so, she's born January 27th, 1994, Cole, Missouri. Her parents were teenage parents when they had Alyssa. And Alyssa is the oldest of four kids. So, she has three younger siblings. Too many, but okay. You're not supposed to let them outnumber you. Nope. Just in case anyone's wondering, you guys are thinking about having kids. You're not supposed to ever let them outnumber you. So that means if you're married, max of two. Mm-hmm. If you're not married, max of one. Done. Period. If you're married with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, three. Yes. Um, but that that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, so we, anyway. we're not going to get into that or. Whatever brought that to Amanda's mind. <laughs> Don't want to know, but it's fine. <laughs> anyway, so Alyssa and her three younger siblings were taken in by her grandparents, Gary and Karen Brooke, in 2002, and they ended up moving to St. Mar- Martin's, Missouri. Their mother, Michelle, she had addiction issues. Their father, Caesar, was serving time in prison on different counts of assault. So up until 2002, maybe not, they were kind of, uh, they were in and out of homes, moving a lot. Mom had addiction issues, dad in and out of jail. So just not not the greatest environment for kids. And so the grandparents did take legal custody of them in 2002. Alyssa, she was described kind of as a typical girl. A lot of the articles said she was very sweet, just kind of like you're a little, little girl, I guess. Her friends stated that she would joke around a lot. She would write poems. Her family was active in the LDS church, which funny, I didn't know this until I did the research and it kind of made me laugh because a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, Amanda and I had a long discussion about the LDS church and the very few things that I know about them. Um, but that's also the dominant religion in my area. So anyways, total side note. In 2007, Alyssa's friends kind of start noticing some changes in her. She's acting a little funky. And she would end up being hospitalized for a suicide attempt in 2007. So she oh, was... A baby. She was like what, thirteen years old? Yeah, I was gonna say that's two thousand seven. Yeah, thirteen years. Oh, so young to be that tortured already. Mm-hmm. She spent ten days in a psychiatric hospital in Saint Martin's, and they put her on medication for her depression or some antidepressants. Same thing. A lot of people speculate just her having that really rough early childhood um, may have caused some of these issues down the road for her just you know cause and effect they said she had ptsd and just a whole whole bunch of things from her childhood and don't they say too i'm sorry to interrupt um i think i've heard before people say when other when children suffer trauma they kind of get stuck in that age sometimes that it wasn't brought up in any of these um articles it did talk about her possibly being emotionally stunted but Mm -hmm. not necessarily like stuck in her childhood trauma at a younger age i just Uh, imagine if that were true it would make this so so much worse mm -hmm. after this she begins showing her friends the cuts and scars on her wrist um even with the medication Alyssa would still attempt to slit her wrist several more times um, and attempt suicide several more times she posted on her youtube profile that cutting was one of her hobbies 
as well as killing people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I'm trying to learn how to crochet. That's a pretty good hobby right there, Amanda. I, I think so. I also like plants. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is such an uncomfortable conversation, too. Yeah, I know. You think we kind of get used to it, but we just don't. No, we don't. She posted a picture of herself, which is in the drive, where it shows her two fingers pointed at her temple like a finger gun, and as if she was shooting herself in the head. This, to me, looks very emo. The typical or the stereotypical idea of emo? Yeah, I can agree. Um, In a video she posted on YouTube, Alyssa is seen touching an active electric fence. And in a transition in this video, it had the wording that came up that read, this is where it gets good. This is where my brothers get hurt. And then she is seen persuading her two younger brothers to also touch said fence. I did not look for the video and I did not get clarification if they actually touched the fence or not. Um, There was that. And in another video, it shows her threatening to shoot one of her classmates. So we got a lot going on here. Yeah. So there's just a lot to unpack right there. In October. Oh, I'm sorry. On October 21st, 2009, Alyssa convinces her sister to invite her little sister to invite over Elizabeth Olton to come play. At this time, Alyssa is 15 years old. Elizabeth Olton is nine years old. She lives four houses away. And Elizabeth would often come over to play with Alyssa's three younger siblings. Uh, The youngest sibling was six. And then the other, the middle ones, I think, were like 11. So, you know, it makes sense that they would play. And Alyssa's little sister and Elizabeth would go on and they're just begging Elizabeth's mom to go play at the Bustamante's house. They're just begging. Um, In one article, it actually said that Elizabeth had been practicing her lines for um, a school play and driving her brothers nuts. And her mom was like, no, you can't go play right now. I'm making dinner. And they just begged and begged until her mom relented and said, all right, go play for an hour, but you need to be home in an hour. Uh, I mean, they live four houses down. It's not like a huge distance. Yeah, And I remember those days, you know, the gang up and help me beg. They, she can't say no to both of us. I mean, she can. She didn't. Which, by no means her fault. I'm just saying, like, now as a parent, if I say no, oh, get your ass to your room if you're going to ask me a second time. I'll show you where you can play. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I also have no patience, so (laughs) probably a big difference there. Yeah, you and James get along with that. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) So they go to go play at the Bustamante's house. And... They play for about an hour and at around six o'clock when Elizabeth should have been getting home. Alyssa lures her into the woods behind their home. So where they live, they have like 60 acres of wood wooded area. And I mean, Elizabeth is walking home at this time and Alyssa lures her into the woods behind their home. Here, Elizabeth, Alyssa would, would attack Elizabeth. She would strangle her split her throat, and stab her eight times in the chest. Alyssa would go on to bury Elizabeth's body in a grave site that she had dug out five days prior in the woods. She proceeded to cover the grave with leaves and headed home. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out to you right now. Okay. All right. 
I don't really know what to say to that. Still kind of processing. Um, Alyssa. Oh, I'm sorry. Elizabeth's mother marked the last time she saw Elizabeth was 5 p.m. And around 6 p.m. she was starting to get worried. Where where is Elizabeth? And they would call police at seven or about seven. And she noted that Elizabeth was afraid of the dark and she doesn't wander around in the dark on her own, nor would she willingly stay out after dark alone. Like she she just was terrified of the dark. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, she's nine. She's a baby. Right. And so they call the police. They start police kind of start their investigation. While this is happening, Alyssa Bustamante goes to write in her her diary. Uh, would you like to know what she wrote? The part that's scratched out? Yes. <laughs> yes. She would write in her journal, quote, I just fucking killed someone. I strangled <laughs> them and slit their throat and stabbed them. Stabbed them. Now they're dead. I don't know how I feel, ATM, at the moment. It was amazing. A-H-M-A-Z-I-N-G. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now. Hey, I gotta go to church now. LOL. You gotta go to more than just church. I don't have power to change what she needed to do in that moment. Or to change what she did. I feel like she should probably talk to somebody. A couple people. I, I would think so. And there's a lot in this letter that really, like, to me, it's concerning. It's, first of all, why is she writing this in her diary? Like, step one, you you don't do that. No. Yeah. No. Amateur. But, right. But it's how, so she's using, like, abbreviations. She did ATM for at the moment, and she put amazing, A-H-M-A-Z-I-N-G. Like, like this is she, just casual to her? Like. That's. I, I think that's what bugs me right now is that it's so casual. Maybe she's in shock. Maybe it's a little bit of a shock reaction. But also, I feel like I definitely wouldn't. I don't think I really write in a lot of abbreviations now. I'd rather misspell a word than do a wrong abbreviation. Um, But I, I just see a lot of that. And then like when she's like, I got to go to church, she wrote out, hey, I got to go to church now. And then the LOL at the end. Like, you're you're joking about it. Right. Because, I mean, not only this, it was premeditated, too. Like you said, she oh. knew she was going to do this five days in advance. Planned it out. Did it. And then afterwards, she went home and wrote in her journal about it. Not only that, but she then cleaned up and went to a church dance. All the while, police are looking for Elizabeth. Wait, she actually went to church? Yeah. Oh, there was a church activity and she went to church. Oh, boy. So it wasn't like her going like, oh, I got to go confess my sins and go to church. No, she actually had a church activity she had to go get ready for. Okay, yeah, I missed that. I thought it was a joke. No, 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 no. That was like her actually saying, I got to go to church. I'm uncomfortable. The following day on October 22nd, 2009, police need to figure out who last saw Elizabeth. They can't find her. You know, it's almost we're approaching the 24 hour mark. Like, what's going on? Where is this girl? There's no sign of her anywhere. They were even able to ping her cell phone to the woods behind the house. They just weren't able to find her. 
And so, of course, naturally, they go to the last person that saw Elizabeth, which was Alyssa Bustamante's little sister. I do have her name. I don't feel like it's really necessary because I feel like she's just as much as a, of a victim. Yeah. Um, so her little sister tells police, oh, I played with Elizabeth from five to six. And then I watched Elizabeth start walking home. But I kept playing. So they never went into the house. They stayed in the dragway and played. So that made it so that the grandparents actually had no idea that Elizabeth was even there. They had no clue. Elizabeth starts walking home. Little sister. She's playing. Blah, blah, blah. And she eventually falls and gets stuck. And she's calling for help. And Alyssa comes out to help her little sister. And her little sister thought she came out of the house. Like, oh, okay. She just, you know, whatever. Came out of the house to help me. She heard me screaming. And the little sister, after she's out, she notices a spot of blood on Alyssa's pants, which Alyssa's like, oh, it's from my period. Don't tell anyone. That's that's kind of embarrassing, right? And, you know, they move on. But FBI did kind of question, like, okay, well, still a little weird that there was blood on her pants, right? And so they start questioning Alyssa. They had actually found a shallow hole behind Alyssa's house. house. It didn't have anything in it. It was just dug up, reburied. And they were like, it's just really weird. It looks like it's the size for a 10-year-old. And they asked Alyssa about this. And she goes, oh, I just like to dig holes. Like, what do you, I just like digging holes. And she said that she would often dig holes to bury um, animals that they had found in them. Um, which which was true. It's a true statement. They would bury animals in those holes. So she and it was a small town. It had like a population of about a thousand people. So you know, she doesn't have much to do. She's just digging holes. <laughs> um But they did think it was a little weird. And they do get the permission from the grandparents to search the house. And in Alyssa's room, they they did take a couple of things. They were very suspicious about her house. There was writing on the wall that was just very disturbing. They also believed that some of the writing on the wall was done in blood. Um, Sorry, I was going to say, like, is she is she writing in her own blood? They never I never got clarification if they tested it or not. Um, They Mm -hmm. believed it to be blood. There was also a drawing um, that depicted like a, a person with slashes over their face and hands and body. And underneath it, it said her little sister's name. And it was a drawing on the wall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So cries for help kind of seem like they're abundant. Yep. They also take Alyssa's diary at this point. Uh-oh. So, yep. They found some disturbing entries. And the final entry had been scribbled out in blue ink, which is the picture that you see. And the only piece that was showing was, I gotta go to church, LOL. So some of those, they just had some disturbing, disturbing things in there. So they were just like, and why is this last entry scribbled out? But it's dated the same day that, that this little girl goes missing. And they would go on to actually, the FBI would go on to interview Alyssa's boyfriend at the time. He had actually gone in and done a polygraph test and failed. Um, so they kind of probe him a little bit more and they're like, okay, what's going on? I don't, like, we know you're lying. What's happening? 
And he basically goes on to tell police that Alyssa told him that she had killed Elizabeth and she had told him the day after. So on the 22nd and they're doing this polygraph on the 23rd. So he basically goes on to say, yeah, Elizabeth killed her or not Elizabeth. I'm sorry. Alyssa killed her. And she told me and kind of went prompted or probed why he lied. He's like, well, she could do that to me. He kind of had more of a fearful response. Um, at least from how I interpreted it, because I did watch that that um, interview they did with him. And so they bring, they first of all, they have her diary. <laughs> so they're like, okay, so we have her diary. Now we know that her boyfriend is hiding something. And they bring Alyssa and her grandma back in. And FBI agents tell her that they have read her diary, including the last scribbled out entry. So I actually watched this whole um, interrogation. And you see a lot of um, the the version of it I watched had someone kind of analyzing her movements and how her speech patterns, that type of thing, just kind of pointing out like here you can tell she's she's indicating that she's lying, at least her body language is. So it was actually very interesting to watch that. Um, but they, I mean, they start this interrogation off basically with like, well, what happened that day? Tell us a little bit more kind of doing those probing questions, trying to catch her in a lie. Um, and they end up kind of asking, all right, what did the investigators take from your house? And her grandma, like she listed off some things and her grandma ended up saying, oh, and your diary. And you could just see her face drop like, oh, shit. She had no know that. She had no clue they had taken her diary. Oh. And they go on to tell her like, yeah. We've read the last entry. So they tell her they've read the last, the diary, including the scribbled out entry. And at this time, in reality, the only two words they had made out was slit throat. So, you know, yeah, you're made out enough. Yeah. And at this point, Alyssa starts to reveal what happened to Elizabeth. First, she states that Elizabeth had been walking to the woods. They were goofing off. She fell, hit her head and just died. And so Alyssa claimed that she burned the body because she freaked out. Investigators are like, no, you did not burn the body. <laughs> we would have found evidence of that. Secondly, do you know how hot that shit has to be to burn a body? Like, so investigators, like, they're not calling her out like that, but they are. They're, you can just tell that they're like, this isn't true, kid. And they tell her, like, okay, well, even with all that scribbling out, we can hold that paper up to the light and see what you wrote. And so at this point, she starts, she starts kind of saying, all right, well, maybe that's not what happened. And agents then tell her again, well, we're going to recover the body and do an autopsy and learn what happened. Like, we're going to figure out what happened. And from here, she starts telling the truth. Did she ever, like, break down or show emotion? Like, was she getting scared? Yeah, she she definitely was. At least to me, it looked like she was. Where you could kind of see like her what like her movements. You could tell she was really anxious. She was just very tense. And investigators ask Alyssa, "Was her throat cut?" And Alyssa just responds, "Yes." And at this point in the interrogation, her grandmother breaks down. Her grandmother is just so distraught because this is the revelation where this wasn't accidental. This was intentional. And your mother broke, or grandmother broke down, just wailing, very, very upset. 
And um, so she starts telling them, okay, this is what happens. So she told authorities that she sent her little sister inside, um, had grabbed Elizabeth by the hand and started walking towards the woods. Like, all right, let's go, Elizabeth. And she said that she had been telling Elizabeth that there was something she had to really show her that was really cool, but it's just a little further up there. Oh, no, no, there's something really neat I want to show you. It's it's a little further. In reality, she had been leading her to the pre-dug grave. Once there, she strangled Elizabeth, murdered her, all, all the things I listed out earlier. She would agree to take the agents to the grave site. And they find the second shallow grave, which they had talked about a hole or a grave site before. They just didn't know there was a second one. They knew about the first one. They didn't know there was a second one. So they just didn't like keep going and find the second one. I just don't think searchers had seen it because she, she did cover it with leaves. Not that it was covered great. But yeah. if you're just a volunteer out trying to help look for a little girl, you might not even notice it. I mean, I imagine too, like a lot of times volunteers, if I were to go out for something like that and volunteer, I wouldn't be looking for a grave. I would be looking for a girl. A Right. And I think that's probably what happened. Because now, I mean, you have these volunteers, these searchers going out just looking for this little girl. They're hoping not she's lost. Right. Still hoping for the best. And gosh. they I don't think they were necessarily looking down. Oh, God. Um, okay. Investigators actually, the one investigator actually said, like, it was very shallow. It was a very shallow grave. Like they said, you could actually start seeing when you looked closer, removed the leaves, you could definitely see the outline of a body from where the the dirt covered her. Oh, no. So Alyssa takes them to this second grave site and FBI agents do dig it up and they find Elizabeth's body inside. Alyssa Bustamante is charged with first degree murder and she was arrested for the murder of Elizabeth Olton. When asked why Alyssa uh, had committed the crime, Alyssa stated that she wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. So she wanted to do it for the thrill of it. I know we've heard that before, but it's still just something I cannot fathom. I Tell me about it. I just don't, I can't even fathom like with an animal hunting. It's not my thing. Yeah. Like I, I can't fathom that being enjoyable. I mean, I had to do it as animal control, and it was just something that I never got used to. It's something the other officers never got used to. It's just, I, I don't get it. Shocked everyone. Like, Alyssa's friends were really struggling to believe it. They're like, no way. She's just so nice. We don't get this. One friend stated, quote, before this, before all of this, she was a normal 15-year-old girl. This really isn't her. This was not the Alyssa that I knew. So, I mean, you've got these people that are shocked. Like, this is very out of character for her, at least outwardly facing. Um, maybe not the people inwardly. I don't know. It didn't really talk about what her grandma, grandpa really felt about it. On November 17th, 2009, Alyssa appears in court and pleads not guilty to the charges of first degree murder and armed criminal act. The armed criminal action, the second charge, is because she used a knife in the murder. Okay, so she, she, she's like, not guilty. Sorry. And it's not even that they're going for an insanity case. I think they're going for best case scenario at this point. And uh, the other piece of this is that it was decided to try her as an adult. She mm. was not being tried as a minor. So she needed a, 
trial? Is that why maybe she pled not guilty? Um, well, a trial date would eventually be set, but for 2012. So several years out. Part of the hold off on this, part of this came down to the fact that the prosecution had a couple setbacks, including having her confession thrown out as evidence. So they couldn't use that confession in trial. Why? The defense was able to successfully show that Alyssa being a minor at the time, some of the questions asked during her interrogation were not allowed under the Missouri law. Oh, okay. Um, From what I could see, that confession tape that I watched, it was actually, it wasn't the interrogator necessarily. It was actually the, there was like an advocate for the the juvenile judicial system there. From what I could tell, it was her comments that got it thrown out. So she's supposed to be advocating for Alyssa and she made some comments that were not quite advocating for her. And so that's, that's, Uh, okay. at least that was some of the pointers that it pointed out, like that shouldn't have been asked. And this is why it got thrown out. I don't know how accurate that is, but from what I could find, that's what it was. So it seemed to be kind of a technicality that they got out on. Okay. Yeah. Also on the horizon of the trial, was the Miller v. Alabama case. Do you remember this one? We've talked about it very briefly, but in another kid killer case. Crap. Miller v. Alabama. Is that, uh, does it have to do with minors? Yep. So this is the law um, or the case that basically came forward and said that sentencing a juvenile, anyone under the age of 18 to a life imprisonment is unconstitutional. So. They've got this case on the horizon and they're seeing that this is likely going to be shown that kids under the age of 18, it's unconstitutional to sentence them to life in prison. So they're like, they see what's happening. Yeah, they needed to see how it was going to play out. and Yeah, well, I mean, I don't believe they waited for it, it to completely play out for the Miller v. Alabama case. But they they definitely knew that something would happen. So instead they had to make a decision, the prosecution, and they offered a plea deal. So in January, 2012, Alyssa would accept a plea deal to lesser charges of second degree murder and armed criminal action. So the first degree was with the premeditation. They're basically dropping that premeditation piece, which is, I mean, that was the biggest push for the, um, for the first degree murder charges and for the need for the confession tape. Because that's where it showed the premeditation. Everything else up until then, they couldn't prove premeditation. Gotcha. Um, so they offer this deal. We'll do second degree murder, but you're still pleading guilty to second degree plus the um, armed criminal action. So she does. She pleads guilty. And during the sentencing hearing, prosecution would go on to argue that Alyssa killed for the thrill of it. She had homicidal ideation. Um, She just wanted to see what it was like. And the defense, on the other hand, they focused on Alyssa's mental health. We know she's getting sentenced at this point. What they're arguing for is length of time. And the defense really focuses on her mental health. She She did have major depressive disorder and she showed symptoms of borderline personality disorder, which several mental health professionals would all testify to these. So, I mean, she's got a lot of people going, uh, she probably wasn't mentally stable, but doesn't necessarily excuse her actions. 
A few weeks later, she would be sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of conditional release or parole um, and a consecutive sentence of 30 years for the second charge. So So she's going to be there a while. Yeah, she'll be there a while. So for the murder charge, the life imprisonment with the possibility of the conditional release, that would end, like her conditional release would be up for evaluation in 2024. However, because she has that second charge, she has to conserve, uh, has to serve that additional 30 years. And so she will actually not be up for release until likely 2054 when she's 60 years old. So basically, Missouri law, what they were able to do was imprisonment for 35 years and like five months. It's a long time. Like, I'm not complaining, um, but they, uh, dang. Yeah. So that's the minimum that she'll serve is the 35 years. Um, But it's likely, again, that she won't be getting out until 2054. Now, during sentencing, Bustamante expressed remorse for the killing, stating, quote, I know words can never be enough and they can never adequately describe how horribly I feel for all of this. If I could give my life to get her back, I would. I'm so sorry. And she said this, obviously, to Olton's mother and siblings, who sat there just silently. Um, her mother and siblings were like, we don't believe it. This was during her sentencing. She was coached by attorneys. And I understand. I get that mentality. I totally do. I get that she was likely, she was likely coached. Um, but so she also I, went through a lot at a young age. And see, these are the things that are I'm kind of torn on because I see their point. But I also feel like maybe this is post some kind of help yeah well the elizabeth's family the olton family they would actually go on and try to sue um the psychiatric facility that had treated her basically saying that she should have known like or not she should have they should have known that she was a threat they should have there should have been something it did get dismissed the judge was like there's no way there was just no way for them to know that it was that severe yeah. Um, I mean, if you're arguing, if you want to argue that, like, I don't want to say it, but like, if, if you're saying it's that obvious, then y'all would have known, you know, like the people around her close to her, but they know what she went through too. Nobody knows how somebody's going to react. react. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, I talk about that later on, but I guess I don't need to now. Oh, um, bad. You're <laughs> good. Um, where was I? During sentencing, Elizabeth Olton's mother, Patricia Priest, she called Alyssa a monster and that she hated everything about her. She said that Alyssa was not human. She had this very moving statement. She was very just like, no, she deserves maximum. Now, she obviously, she did get a pretty hefty, hefty sentence. In 2014, Alyssa Bustamante would attempt to appeal the sentencing, but she was denied in March of 2014. So that appeal didn't go through. In October 2015, Patricia Priest, she sued Alyssa for damages in the wrongful in a wrongful death suit. Uh, this was also about the time that she tried to sue the hospital, um, stating that they should have known she was a danger. In 2017, Patricia Priest, she would settle the lawsuit for five million. And um, from what I read, I had but I think maybe it was just verbiage. So it was settled for $5 million, but I think she only got 400000 out of it. That was what was awarded to her. 
the terms of the agreement also required that Bustamante disclose any compensation from case coverage to Priest. So in essence, what that does is that makes it so that Bustamante is unable to profit in any way based off of this case. No movie deals, no book deals, nothing. She cannot profit. That, that seems fair. Mm-hmm. More than. Right. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. Mm-mm. Alyssa was profiled in an episode of Deadly Women. She was also profiled in an episode of Kids Who Kill, season one, episode five on that one. I forgot to look up what season and episode for Deadly Women. Sorry. A thriller loosely based on the case was released in 2012. That was called My Name is A by Anonymous. And some reports state that Alyssa in prison was often moved to solitary confinement and was very confrontational with guards. Um, I did see one article where it said she was married prison. I don't know, but I couldn't, I scrolled past the article, so I didn't actually read the whole thing. It was like the headline I saw and then I couldn't mm-hmm. find it later. So I, I don't know the accuracy of that one. There is also mm-hmm. another theory out there because there were two graves that were dug. There's a theory that she had actually planned to kill her two younger brothers. And this ended up being a crime of opportunity with Elizabeth. Oh, no. Police believe this to be plausible based off of her YouTube video of her trying to harm her brothers by having them touch that fence, the electric fence. Yeah. Um, However, that was never confirmed by Alyssa, nothing like that. So it's all speculation. Boy. But that is the diary killer. Alyssa Busamonte. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. I, I have heard that one, uh, but I did not know. I didn't know much about it. Oh, 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 before I forget. So the first picture is Alyssa. The second picture is Elizabeth. Third picture is obviously a picture of her diary. And then the fourth picture is, again, of Alyssa. The fourth picture is just kind of eerie because... It doesn't look like there's any feeling in her eyes. She's very stone-faced. Yes, I can agree with that. And there were um, sources that said she was potentially emotionally stunted. because like sedated? Of stunted. Oh, okay. Um, Just based off of her upbringing, or at least her early life. So they think that might have had something to do with it. But other than that, I mean. That's sad. I don't like it. I never claimed to like it. I'm just here. I appreciate your storytelling, though. Okay. Anyways, so that's that's my story. Any final thoughts? I just, hearing stories like this, it just always leads me back to the nature versus nurture. <clears throat> and is this is it? a perfect case because from what we know, at least, you know, her siblings never committed similar crimes. So... They were also taken out of the home at a, an earlier age. I was going to say, they seemed way younger, too. Because, what, at least four di- four years difference? Yeah. Between the next one? Mm-hmm. Oh. So, I'm lucky enough to come from a home where my parents were very stable, are very stable, very caring. Like, So, it's so hard for me to see how someone could do that and have those those issues. Yeah, like, I mean, my life wasn't perfect. You know, we had struggles and stuff. I've struggled personally, but even then, I can't. It's it's also, like, bewildering to me because this isn't even necessarily somebody that she disliked. Like you said, this is just sheer 
did make a statement that she was annoying that um that elizabeth could be annoying but i also feel like okay that's great but aren't most nine-year-olds a little annoying on occasion i think so yeah i mean especially when you're 15 right you're 15 they're younger you know i've i've been there too where you know little cousins always there right behind you and I look back on it now and it's endearing. But yeah, sometimes I was just like, hey, I, I got to use the bathroom. So when Annie is nine, let me know if she's annoying or not. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> I'm positive I will. You're like, she's only one and she is. I yeah. can confirm. Oh, yeah. I, look, I'm very excited to be putting her in daycare. Okay, I'll put it that way. I know, like, everyone's like, well, you'll miss her when she's there. Yeah, 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 Okay, but right now, let me look forward to it. Right now, it'll be great. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Bye. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go, like, take a shower or something and not have to worry. But I'm going to take, like, an hour-long shower when she's in daycare. I just want you to know that. Yeah. Nobody bother me. I'm going to light a candle and just stand under the hot water for an hour. I'm ready to go on to a different story that's less terrible. Okay, well, I have one that. Okay. Oh, the picture! Do you know what it is? Mongolian deathworm? Oh, it is. It's a Mongolian deathworm. I was not expecting having this much fun researching this. Researching a worm. Okay. It's a deathworm, ma'am. Put some respect <laughs> on their names. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No. The deathworm. It was, this was really fun to research because a lot of people are like, no, it's a legend. It's a tall tale. It's a cryptid. But we but love those so much. These are my favorite types because I read that lots of people, and I mean researchers, zoologists, cryptozoologists, scientists, they accept that this animal is real and we just can't find it. Oh. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell by my voice. So. Okay. Olgoy Korkoy, I hope. Stop it. So you stop it right now. I have said two words. I've attempted to say two words and she's already laughing at me hysterically. Please, please say that again. Olgoy, nope. Olgoy Korkoy, I think. I don't speak Mongolian, okay? I speak a little bit of Mandarin. But yeah. not Mongolian. Not Mongolian. Okay. Uh, yeah, as we know it over here in the West, um, Mongolian deathworm. They allegedly reside in the Gobi Desert in East Asia, and it was first claimed to have been seen about a thousand years ago. So reports of this thing, reports and stories, they date way, way back. The... The Mongolian deathworm, its story was said to have originally traveled to us over here, like Western, by a book published in 1926 called On the Trail of Ancient Man. This book was all about a really big, really expensive scientific expedition that documented the Mongolian deathworm, and it was written by Roy Chapman Andrews. Uh, I'm surprised I've never heard of this guy. Because he was, okay, multiple people in this story are fascinating. His name is Roy Chapman Andrews. And according to Wikipedia, 
Andrews was an adventure, and I'm sorry, an American explorer, adventurer, and naturalist. Naturalist, whoa, naturalist, and he was a naturalist who eventually became the director of the American Museum of Natural History. Also, I read that uh, he was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. No, he was not. That's what I read in two different sources. So, kind of a big deal. Say so. Sorry, I was checking my book to see if they had the death worm of any sort. They don't. Oh, well, then it's not a good book. It probably is, but it's What if I tell you it's by that guy you just said? Roy Chapman Andrews? Yeah, it's not. (laughs) You son of a... Okay. Anyway, back to Roy Chapman Andrews. He did write a bunch of books, but this one specifically on the Trail of Ancient Man, it told the story of the second of multiple exhibitions sponsored by the Museum of Natural History with the goal of finding and documenting the Mongolian deathworm. The book includes stories that he heard at a gathering of Mongolian Mongolian officials during his travels. And while they were in the capital, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to attempt to say the capital of Mongolia, okay? I don't even know if it was the same because this is way back in 1919. He was there and he was meeting with a group of high-ranking cabinet members, including the premier, which I tried to Google and it just kept bringing me to like movie times. From my understanding, that's like, that was the head of their government at the time. So he was meeting with them to finalize his expedition and all the paperwork and whatever he needed to do. And while they were there, the government asked him if he could capture one of the creatures for them. And I did read that he did not think this creature was real. Uh, But he told them, he was like, absolutely. I can totally do that for you. Obviously, I can bring one back for you. Pish posh. Let me just go get my my rope, my lasso, and my, I don't know, what does Indiana Jones have again? A lasso and, I don't know, probably some kind of shiny gem. His hat. Oh, he's got a hat, yeah. <laughs> the hat! He's got the hat, probably some probably. nice hiking boots. I was going to say probably a compass. I guarantee you he's got a compass. I bet he's got a map. Let me grab my gear. Yes. Let me grab my knapsack. <laughs> Don't worry. There's probably not going to be anyone shooting at me with poison darts. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, they do have like vipers, you know, you might go blind. So be careful. Yeah. In Andrews. Gotta be very careful. <laughs> now, he did make note that nobody there had ever seen this creature, but. They firmly believed in its existence and described it minutely. I also went on to read, he told them that if he happened to cross paths with a Mongolian deathworm, it could be seized by means of long steel collecting forceps and that he could wear dark glasses so that the disastrous effects of even looking at so poisonous a creature would be neutralized. So he, God, I meant to Google this word. In his book, he includes a quote from 1922 by Mongolian Prime Minister Damdenbazar. I hope. I'm so sorry. He says, it is shaped like a sausage about two feet long. It has 
no head nor leg, and it is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death, and it lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. They're believed to inhabit either the western or the southern Gobi. They live underground and they rarely come to the surface. But I did read that in either June or July, they just kind of pop up to the surface to eat real quick. And that second picture is a picture of one, them burrowing. And the second one is, they're described to come halfway, their bodies length, half their body's length out of the sand. And then they spit this venom at you. So like the picture. And they're said to like, almost form a bubble and when the bubble looks so big it's about to burst that's when they shoot the venom so it's kind of like they charge they just like they're charging up their venom and then they just spit it at you they are bright red two to four feet long and in one source i even read that they get seven feet long and they resemble cow intestines which is how they got their name ogoy corkoy if I'm saying it right, it translates to intestine worm. The head and the tail look the same, so you never know which end you're looking at. And if you touch it, you die. Period. The end. Nobody knows why. Because they, we, they've never been, they've been seen, but they've never been photographed. They've never been studied. People believe that it's e they're either toxic, so they think that this venom, their body is covered in the venom that they also spit. So if you touch the worm, you immediately die as it's absorbed through your hands. Or they create an electric charge. So they shock you when you touch them. And if you get too close, like within, it said, a couple meters, they can shock you like kind of like an electric eel would. It's just badass. Right? I was honestly sleeping on the Mongolian death worm. He's pretty <laughs> freaking cool. Okay, so it's been said to kill their prey by spraying the venom or emitting electrical charges, and their prey is believed to be cattle, uh, cows, horses, goats, <clears throat> people. So, uh, that last one right in, just slide it in. Goats? No, people. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're hungry, okay? I don't know how a four during your one story, um, he said it was survival of the fittest. Natural selection. Natural selection? Well, I mean, if this creature has electric powers and toxic spit venom, uh, I'm dead as hell. Ditto. Yeah. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Speaking of the electric charges... Some people believe that they have a psychic power that allows you to kill them. Nope. That allows them to kill you just by looking at them. They think that it's some kind of Medusa. infrasound. They use some kind of infrasound to crush the mind with unprecedented waves of strength. And I had to Google that. Infrasound are, is or are sound waves with frequencies lower than a human that what? Sound waves with a frequency lower than a human than a human is capable of hearing. I wrote that all weird. I'm sorry. As it travels, they travel 
under the ground, but they leave ripples in the sand at the surface. And I immediately, have you ever seen Tremors? Not the remake, the 90s version. Yes. Ugh, Kevin Bacon. Oh my God. This is 90 movies gold, <laughs> y'all. Let me tell you. Tremors, uh, a bunch of sources said that it was inspired by the Mongolian death worm. I can see that because that's when, when I think of the Mongolian death worm and looking at the pictures, all I can think is that movie. Yes. I, I can't remember what they call them. I think they call them like obloids or something like that. But yes, they were, uh, they pulled a lot of inspiration from this, uh, from the Mongolian death worms and a book that I talk about later on. Uh, the Mongolian death worm has proven hard to study for believers because the Mongolian people consider it bad luck to even hear its name. Interesting. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it's a it's a death worm. I can't say that I blame them. Right. Uh, like I said, they've never been photographed, captured, or even documented by like a respectable source. I guess I'll say. Hunting the creature was originally outlawed by the government, but the government considered the whole thing a fairy tale. And I literally wrote skeptical. If fairy tale, why outlaw? Just wondering the same thing. Why would you outlaw something that you consider a fairy tale? I find that mighty interesting. But there's a Czech author named Ivan Makerley. And he took advantage of the fall of the Mongolian government in 1990, and he went on a quest to find the Mongolian death worm. Okay. Makerley, do you know that question where people are like, if you can have coffee with anybody alive or dead, who would it be? Mine would be this guy. Really? Yes. He, okay, skeptoid.com. I got to stop saying okay. I'm just really excited. You're so excited. That's your tick. You're okay. <laughs> Skeptoid.com, they, they were awesome. Okay, I'll be going back to that website. They described Macrolay as an automotive engineer and, I forgot to Google that word, inveterate? Nope, I know that's not right. <laughs> Give me a second. I'm so sorry. I know I did not pronounce that right. Inveterate. Uh, they described him as an automotive engineer and inveterate enthusiast of adventure and the call of mystery. Inveterate, I had to look that up, is having a particular habit, activity, or interest that is long established and unlikely to change. So he followed the call of mystery, okay? Love it. Let's just follow the call of mystery. That If that's not on his tombstone, I'm revolting something. I don't know what yet. Let's just, um, let's tell my dad we're going to follow the call of mystery going forward and see what he says. Follow the call of mystery. Yes. He will 1000% tell us no, but we're still going to try it. But Macrolay did it. And this man, Bryce, he did it. Okay. He led expeditions in search of the Loch Ness Monster, the Tasmanian Tiger, and the Elephant Bird. I have never heard of the Elephant Bird. I have not either, but uh, I'm definitely going to add that. Do I need to add it? I'm in there right now. Oh, yeah. And the Tasmanian Tiger, if that's not on there. Hold on. Let me get down there. Okay. What was that again? The Tasmanian Tiger. Elephant bird. Yes. And that. Tasmanian Tiger. Yeah. So this guy, he, uh, he, uh, he was, he was cultured. 
I would say. Worldly. He was traveled. Oh, well traveled. So, yeah. Cup of coffee with anybody? Ivan Mackerley, please tell me your stories. Deal. I'm on my way. <laughs> he took a group with him on two trips to the Gobi Desert, once in 1990, and then he went back in 1992. They were inspired from a book called Dune, like Sand Dune, from 1965 by Frank Herbert. I bought that book the other day. I, If you like sci-fis, I feel like this is a book that you would like. This was also served as inspiration for Tremors. The book, Dune, has sandworms that can detect vibrations in the sand Hi, we're back uh, after that minor technical difficulty. Amanda broke shit on her end. Yeah, I did. I used my crazy feet to unplug my second monitor. She used her jazz feet to unplug her crazy monitor. Jazz feet? Oh my God, I love it. I jazzed it up a little too hard and just... Instead of jazz hands, we have jazz feet right here. My jazz feet. You gotta watch out for them. They're just like ripping cords out of modems over here. Oh, hell. That's why That's why she uh, didn't have internet for two weeks. It was her jazz feet. Yeah, I was. I thought I was asleep at night, but really my jazz feet just tap danced me straight the hell outside and ripped a cord out. Oh, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, the, sorry. The book Dunes, it had these sand words in the book. And they could detect vibrations in the sand, and that would lure them up to the top, much like the movie Tremors. I haven't seen the remake. I probably won't, because Kevin Bacon. But in that movie, spoiler alert, it can tell when you're walking and the worm comes up to eat. So Macaulay's team takes this theory, and I love this picture, because just imagine... These researchers, uh, one was a physicist, uh, Macaulay is, the man's learned, okay, he's a zoologist. All of these researchers are out in the Gobi Desert, and they're just beating on the sand with their fists, they're stomping on it, they're trying to lure a worm, this Mongolian death worm, to the top, nothing happens. So they built this motorized machine they called a thumper to pound the sand. Nothing happened. They even set off small explosives. I did not, I don't know what a small explosive is. It did not specify. Um, I imagine something possibly bigger than fireworks. Just set them off in the desert. No big deal. There's no fire hazard. Not in the desert. Well, I mean, isn't there though? Because there's no grass, but also there's no water. So I'm gonna say I feel like if you're gonna do it, like the desert probably isn't the greatest spot, but also is it? I'm not sure. I mean, no, it feels I'm... like a lot of wind and not a lot of water. Okay, let's put it this way: I technically live in a desert, uh huh, and there's still fire ha- fire hazards. Okay, so who is uh? What's the the Smokey the Bear equivalent of the Gobi Desert. Some sort of lizard, Mon- maybe? The Mongolian death worm. What are you talking about? Oh. Is Where that why they- we've never seen them? Because it's not an issue? Fires in the Gobi Desert? Probably. <laughs> ah, okay. So, unfortunately, Macaulay, they never found anything. Him and his crew never found anything. From everything I've read, uh, Macaulay and his team, they ended up befriending a group of nomads. And after a couple bottles of liquid courage, 
they told the crew their stories. So they claim that the worm spits an acid-like substance that will corrode anything it comes in contact with and it turns it yellow. So whatever it hits covers it in like a yellow acidic substance and it starts to corrode it. The yellow color is just going to lure more worms because they say that worms, Mongolian death worms, like the color yellow. They told Macrolay the story about this little boy who was playing outside with a yellow ball. He goes back inside, the worm follows him, and when the boy notices this worm following him around his house, he touched it, and then he died instantly. When his family... touch things. That you don't know what they are. Yes. Yeah. That's like my biggest PSA. Don't feed stray dogs and don't touch random worms. Yeah, that. Yeah. Put it on a notebook or something. I don't know. We'll put it on our shirt. Yeah. I'm going to write it on a mirror. Put it in Annie's room. And that's going to be your... What are those things that you're supposed to say in the mirror to yourself every morning? Affirmation? Yep. That. Hey, Annie, now we know your affirmations. Yeah. I was going to call it an aspiration, but no, that was backwards. That is The Sims. Thank you. <laughs> Where was that? Okay. So the little boy was killed instantly upon touching this worm. When his parents found his lifeless body, they found like a slithering trail in the sand leading away from his body. Or I'm sorry, they found a slithering trail of sand leading away from his body. So creepy. Isn't it? Because I imagine like it's not even a, a straight trail. I imagine this worm come up from underground so it has sand falling off of it so it's like i don't like it at all according to the story his parents saw this and they knew exactly what happened they were like that damn death worm got my baby so they went uh they went out to seek their revenge and they followed the trail and they hunted down the worm and they never came back and maybe don't hunt things that killed your child unless you have like the police involved to like catch a killer like yeah obviously mm-hmm. but like maybe the mongolian death worm don't hunt down maybe i can't promise that because like if mothman or something came and got my child la lechuza if they came and got my child i would probably hunt them down i would at least try or i would be put into a psych ward trying those are my two options he would die trying. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Either on the trail or in a ward. In a locked door, padded room, that kind of thing. With a donkey on rollerblades. <gasps> Mother, I forgot! What? He we that. forgot to announce oh. new goddamn cover! Okay, we'll do a little blurb and I'll just... Yeah. We have to record off. the thing while she was screaming anyway. Oh my god. Oh my god. I even thought about it while we were talking and then we were doing something we were bullshitting. I thought you were saying we forgot to tell him we wanted it. And then I was like, no, I vividly remember. No, it's not that. It's that we forgot to mention it to listeners. Oh my God. We just got to get back in the habit of this whole podcast. What is happening? We suck. Yes, clearly. Anyways, if you've gotten to this point, we have new cover art that we will be releasing with this episode. 
surprise. We got our donkey on roller skates. You guys don't understand that you might want to go to Patreon and watch one yeah. of those videos. Sweet Jesus. Okay. We are profesh AF here. Where the hell was I? Die trying. Oh, okay. So the group also met a woman named Purette, I think, who had never personally seen the worm, but she heard a lot about it. She, this is a big quote, it is said to move about under the sand, and when it wants to kill someone, it moves half its length out of the sand and starts to inflate. The bubble on its body keeps getting larger, and in the end, the poison squirts out from it. So, after hearing all this, Macaulay theorized that since earthworms and similar creatures retain moisture, it's unlikely that the Mongolian deathworm is actually a worm because the desert is such a dry place. They, he didn't think they'd be able to live there. While it's possible that the Mongolian deathworm is a worm that has just adapted to living in the desert, Macrolay thinks that it's more likely a skink, a legless lizard, or something in the cobra family, since they're known to spit venom. Um, even though cobra venom blinds, doesn't necessarily kill, they think it could be something in that family, something like that. That's, that's just the best we've got to go on. Macrolay seemed to become kind of the grandfather of the Mongolian deathworm. Every source I read mentioned Macaulay. And they a lot of them did mention Chapman as well and another guy uh, that I'm about to get to, Gorlock. But all of them, without a doubt, mentioned Macaulay. And he wrote, he wrote. Yeah, he was busy. His little pencil was a sketching, I guess. I don't know. He was published in two different Czech magazines in the early 90s. And about two years later, they were translated and printed into English newsletters. And these newsletters were about UFOs and New Age mysticism. So he kind of got, he kind of, he's just spreading west. He put together a documentary for a Czech TV station that was also broadcast in 93 called The Sand Monster Mystery. And he's, credit, he's credited with the Mongolian deathworm being mainstream. Because like I said, like, Every article you read is probably going to mention this man or cite him. There was one more guy I wanted to tell you about named Yuri Gorlov, and he was a zoologist and a researcher. While on an expedition in the Gobi Desert, Gorlov heard stories of a shepherd who killed, I think instead of, the website I read this on was translated from Mongolian to Russian, and then I had translated it from Russian to English. So a lot of this was kind of hard to understand, so it might get lost in translation. If that's the fact, I'm sorry. However, while he was on an expedition in the Gobi Desert, Gorlov heard stories of a shepherd, I believe it was a Mongolian nomad, who had killed a Mongolian deathworm and kept the body in a jar. And he kept the body of this, he kept the Mongolian death worm in a jar with some kind of liquid, but the liquid did not preserve it. So over time it decomposed. But while he had it in this jar, while he had this Mongolian death worm soup 
he posted it up. He had some kind of like a the shop deal. Yeah, just you know, look, my family has the finger tornado. He had a Mongolian deathworm tornado. Okay. Tornado though is that seems like it'd be maybe be like a hurricane. Which one? The Mongolian deathworm. It could be a hurricane. Yeah. Or a hemicane. It's whatever he did. You know what they should start doing for uh, hurricanes? Because you know how, like, their naming system, or some people say their naming system is, like, the feminine names are more dangerous or whatever? Mm-hmm. They should start doing it based off of cryptids. Honestly, I wish they would. I right? think they name them, like, male versus female based on where they come from. Like, how uh, back in the day, people would believe if the baby sat lower in the womb, it was a girl, I think. Yeah. Or whatever. Baby. I don't know. We proved it wrong, but from what I heard, that's why they name hurricanes, whatever. Just just name them random stuff. Okay? Start naming it after cryptids because I really want to hear about Hurricane Dingbat. Yes. <laughs> or Hurricane Tasmanian Tiger. Those are the really bad ones. Hurricane Mongolian Deathworm. Hurricane Skunk Ape. Hurricane Wimpus. Whirling Wimpus. <gasps> that one? That's, that's the perfect. very first one. <laughs> yes. If it's not Hurricane Whirling Wimpus, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I guess that'd be more like a tornado, but it's fine. It's, it's a Wimpus. It can be whatever <laughs> it wants to be. Depends on how angry it is. And how quickly it's whirling. Yes. Okay. The whirl factor. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. That's fine. I'll let it slide. <laughs> so over time, this worm decomposed since it wasn't properly been prepared in any way. But while he had it, this nomad supposedly had some kind of shop or a stall in town that he set the jar up in. So people would come all day, every day, and just gaze upon this Mongolian death worm. Absolutely. We'd be there every single day. I would be like, Bryce, don't tell your dad, but we gotta go check out this shop. We'd be on our way. Yeah, I would knock on your door and be like, hey, you need some silk, right? Yeah. Hey, Podfather, we're just gonna go get like some silk and sand. We'll be right back. I mean, salt. We got plenty of sand. Salt. We're getting sa- salt to, you know, make sure that no ghosts can haunt us. Exactly. See, we're not going to look at any worms. <laughs> no death worms. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that means that we can't take pictures. We can't have evidence. We're going to have to, like, wear ski masks there, cover our faces. Because if someone photographs us near it and we're caught. We can sketch it. And then we can always just be like, no, this is what they say it looks like. Duh. Duh, haven't you ever heard the Mongolian death worm? <laughs> Goodness. So, again, this was, a lot of this got lost in translation. Uh, but Gorlov was said to have recognized the man's name when his crew happened upon this nomad's camp. And so Gorlov asked the man, he was like, hey, are you the guy that had that, like, Mongolian death worm in a jar? And the guy was like... <laughs> Yeah, that was me. Duh! How did you know? Let So, they went inside their tent or, or yurt or whatever you may call it. And he was like, 
come on in here. Let's share a cup of tea and let me tell you about this thing, okay? And that's what they did. So he's telling Gorlov this story. And while he's telling Gorlov the story, there were a couple of, it said teenagers came in. And you could tell that they were really, really excited, like they had something to say. But due to the customs, they were not allowed to interrupt when adults were talking. So they're basically just sit there being antsy in the corner. And whenever they were able to, they told Gorlov that they had just seen a Mongolian death worm like a few minutes ago out there on a dune, which I'm like, I'm not, I'm from America and we're rude. So I would have just busted in the yurt and been like, you gotta come look at this. It's a Mongolian death worm. Sorry, Uncle Nomad. You gotta see this. Guys, I would have been on that. I would have been, yeah. I'd been screaming before I got in there. I'd have been like, it's a Mongolian death worm. It's a death worm. Like, look, they spit venom. I can die at any minute. They can look at me and crush my mind, okay? I'm yelling. We got, we need help. So Gorlov, um, it was also said that he he took off running. And he was like, hey, man, thanks for the tea. I got to go. And he followed the children over to, a, it sounded like it was like at the top of a hill or a sand dune. And sure enough, they saw something. They weren't sure what. It scurried into a burrow. Um, Gorlov just stuck his hand in the hole and pulled out a snake. Ask if he just stuck his hand in there. He absolutely just stuck his hand in a dirt hole in the Gobi Desert. Y'all, sir, are you okay? What's happening? Well, what's happening is um, he, he pulled a tartar sand boa out of the dirt, out of the earth. And that's that third picture. He took it back to camp and he showed it to the shepherd and the other people in the camp. And he was like, is this what you saw? Is this the death worm? The man was like, yep, that's it. That's exactly what I saw. So Gorlov kind of proved that they may have been mistaken because we now do know this. And Gorlov knew this to be a tartar sand boa, snake, sand boa. Yes, sorry. One way or another. It was a snake. Some sort of slithery creature. Snake. The slithery snake. The slithery snake. (laughs) But, uh, like I said, based on everything I read, most people consider this just to be a tall tale, a legend. And a lot of people use Gorlov's experience to argue that point. But... I also read about researchers going on quests to find it as recently as 2005. Oh, they definitely believe it. Absolutely. This, uh, I'm going to tell you real quick about this. There wasn't much info, but they do occasionally update their website. So I keep looking. But a group of English researchers spent about a month in the Gobi Desert hunting the Mongolian deathworm. Cryptozoologist Richard Freeman led a small team into the desert and they hunted the worm by damming the local streams and they would flood small areas of the desert and they hoped that doing this would force the worms up out of their burrows. Uh, So their website is cryptoworld.cyc.com. 
www.ecoco.uk. And you can read all about this and a lot more. It's a really good website. They have a bunch of cryptids on there. I will be back to that one as well. Wait, what and, was... huh? What was the website? Cryptoworld.co.uk. And this is what they had to say about their expedition to the Gobi Desert. It's our opinion that something does exist out there, probably a lizard, due to the remoteness and unique habitat it has managed to remain unknown. Although the idea of corrosive venom and electric shocks are exciting, it's very unlikely and probably just apocryphal or untrue, even though it's widely accepted as true. I just realized that crypto world, this is featured on their website. Really? Oh my God, this is weird. Anyway, sorry. No, they're good. That's uh, that's all I have for the Mongolian death. And I do have to say, this is probably one of my new favorite cryptids. If he doesn't beat the dingbat. No. I don't think anything ever will. Uh, he's up there with Mothman for me, though, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely up there. But we, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm really torn because I like the Puckwudgies. See, I do like a good Puckwudgie. But I also like a mind-crushing, telepathic, worm, electric, venomous. What about a whirling <laughs> wimpus? I love the I whirling. Like I love the dingbat, and I love the whirling wimpus, and I lo- I just love them all. Yeah, if if I had to choose, I don't think I could Mothman. Yes, I could. But I, well, I love a good Fresno Nightcrawler too. I don't know. Y'all, let us know what's your favorite we've done so far. Yeah, let us know. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, yeah. the things, Discord, Discord. Yeah, I forgot about that thing. All right. Anyways, thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast, Twitter at Hell on Heels pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon. We're working to release specials for patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, don't worry. Hold on. Control Z. Uh, paranormal story suggestions or words of encouragement, please email us at hillandhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to like or be sure to tell or force your friends to listen with you. This has been a Hill on Hills podcast. Bye.